sing the last two verses with us if you know. Thank you, fellas, for that. Revelation 16. Anybody need notes out there? A couple people need notes, maybe? All right. One down here. Anybody else that we somehow slipped through? Okay. Revelation 16. And when you get there, we're going to look, starting at verse number 13 tonight, as we cover the topic of Armageddon. And if there's a topic that people are interested in the end times, I find that this one is normally one that they're pretty fascinated by. 
Um, the, the problem is, is most people don't really know what they're talking about when they talk about Armageddon. And so tonight we're going to see for ourselves, what does the Bible say? Revelation 16, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Father, would you work tonight in our midst? Pray that you would empower me to be able to give uh, just clarity to this topic in your word. I pray that you would help us all to uh, be vigilant for this short time as, as we understand Scripture. And we ask in your name, amen. Let's get right into your notes. The word Armageddon is often misunderstood even by believers. In this lesson, we'll break down the components of this great battle. And we just read in Revelation 16 uh, concerning this first topic in your notes tonight. And so let's go ahead and look at it. The Trinity from hell will gather the remaining world leaders to what is called the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And this is a, a process of gathering that's going to take place not just in one day, but over the whole second half of the tribulation period. And during the second half of the tribulation, people will begin to worship the beast. And they'll begin to take a number on their hand or their forehead, the number of the beast, receiving the mark of the beast, the Bible calls it. And when that begins to happen, there will be a false prophet who, kind of like the Holy Spirit and the God Trinity, who will begin to promote this personage of the beast. And, and then Satan himself will indwell the beast. And so you have uh, all three, as they try to mock God and further blaspheme God, they will have their own version of Trinity. And uh, so th that's the passage that we've just read. It explains, if you look at verse number 16 again, it says he gathered them together into a place. And uh, so we say this next in your notes. More than just a name, Armageddon is a location. Okay, so the Bible says it's a place. It's not just an event. It's an actual place. The name literally means Valley of Megiddo. Valley of Megiddo. A place in the center of Palestine that has seen battles in many centuries. And we can look at some of these in the scripture, but I'll just go ahead and lay them out for you. Uh, some of you, anybody who's ever traveled to the Holy Land, may have gotten a glimpse of this large valley. It's a massive valley. And there have been a lot of wars in history that have been fought there. Um, it's, it's about 10 miles south of Nazareth, if you're looking at a Bible map. And it's about 15 miles in from the Mediterranean Sea. So <laughs> kind of up there in northern Israel, not too far uh, from the home city of Jesus in his youth, Nazareth of Galilee. And it's a big valley. And the Bible talks about some people who fought there. Uh, you remember, uh, there was a guy named Barak, um, and he fought with a, a woman judge, a prophetess, whose name was Deborah. They fought in that valley. And uh, you might remember that 
That was the, the time when the, the woman took the tent peg and put it through Sisera's head in the tent and uh, stapled him all the way down to the ground. Uh, that's quite an event. Gideon fought there not long after that. Um, that's where the Midianites were encamped. The 135,000 Midianites were in this valley. King Saul was actually killed in this valley. King Ahaziah was killed in this valley, as well as King Josiah. And in the 1800s, this is kind of coming up toward our time period, a guy went through there on his way from Egypt to Syria, which is pretty much in the news again right now. You know what his name was? Napoleon. And he lost massive amounts of men right in this valley as he went through from Egypt to Syria. So there's a lot of battles and wars that have already been fought in this location. Let's flip through them quickly. Judges chapter 7. Some of them have uh, one of the other names for this valley. There's several names for the valley of Megiddo. Judges chapter 7. Okay, this does not give the name of the valley. It just gives the names of the hill. Then... Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people who are with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod. So the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. So that's the valley of Megiddo. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 31. And this is the chapter where King Saul meets his demise. 1 Samuel chapter 31. By the way, hearing that little baby cry, I don't know which one it was. You? Um, There's babies all over. We had a great service this morning. Um, I have been in church since I was dedicated as a baby, or probably even before that. And I don't know if I've ever been at a service where that many babies were dedicated. It was incredible. And I just enjoyed it so much. So 1 Samuel 31. Look at, where are we at? Verse number 8. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. So this is another name for the mountain next to the valley. Then let's go to 2 Kings. And we'll quickly look at a couple of these. This just helps us to get on the right framework to understand where Armageddon is so that then we can talk about what Armageddon is. 2 Kings 9, verse 27. But when Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house. And Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up to Gur, which is by Ablaam. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. So Megiddo is where this valley is located. It's the actual name of it. Chapter 23 in Second Kings. Chapter 23. And verses 29 and 30. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him, and he slew him at Megiddo when he had seen him. And his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulcher. So you can see, this is an actual place on the earth. You could get on a plane, go to Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or wherever there's an airport, and you can actually go to it today. You can see it. This is not some imaginary place 
with some imaginary tribe that some dude who was a necromancer invented in the woods in the 1840s. Um, I don't know why I'm so tough on Joseph Smith today. For some reason, I've just been punching that button. This morning, I did a lot of times without saying his name. But it's Sunday night crowd now, and no one's offended now tonight if I say his name, right? Amen. Hey, Joseph Smith's of the devil, people. I'm not joking with you. Um, He started a false cultish religion that has led millions and millions of people away from being children of God. And uh, there are millions and millions of them, a lot of them here in our own state, who think they are children of God. And uh, the only difference between them and us is you weren't born to a Mormon family, likely. Some of you might have been, and, and you found Jesus and Yeah, your life's been changed, but that's really the only difference. It's only by the grace of God that we're children of God. It's not by what we know and how good we are, and we always have to remember that. There's a lot of confused people out there. My son works at a yogurt shop, and the other night he texted me the weirdest thing. He always texts weird things because he is, he's spacey, he's weird. Um, we, We got home yesterday afternoon, we went in the garage, and my wife said, why is the chest freezer open? And I said, well, probably it had something to do with Cody. And uh, guess what it was? He got egos out of it for breakfast. Lid's totally open. So dude's a space cadet. So when he texted me the other night, sorry, I don't know where that fit in the story. <laughs> he's telling you, he's spacey. Um, he texted me, how did Joseph Smith die? From the yogurt shop, right? From the yogurt course. Uh, I told him how he died. He said, did he go crazy? No, no, he got killed by a lynch mob in jail. Well, what did he do? Why was he in jail? So he's texting me all this stuff. Well, he came home, and these um, LDS girls tried to convert him in the yogurt shop. <laughs> right? So an interesting story, and uh, all that was taking place. But this valley is an actual place. So let's look here now in Revelation 14. Revelation 14. You know who is internally cheering right now is my son Dawson. Because he, he normally is the one who gets picked on from the pulpit. And we could go there. Believe me. We could go there. Revelation 14. Hi. Revelation 14, verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Now, you remember what we talked about this morning? Where Lucifer says, I will sit in the seat of the Most High. I'm going to become like God. Well, this isn't Lucifer. This is the real God. This is the one true God. Having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. How many of you ever used a sickle before? You ever used a sickle? If you haven't, you should. Just to say you did. Verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and 
crowd with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and glad, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, and her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle unto the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. A lot of this that we've read is figurative, okay? But verse 20 is not figurative. Look what it says. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress. So at the battle of Armageddon, the winepress of human blood, even unto the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Okay, so let's look in your notes. And we say this, the visions of Armageddon in Scripture show that the invaders will cover the length of modern-day Israel. 1,600 furlongs is 160 miles. So for the distance of 160 miles, blood will be running so high that it will come up to the bridles of the horses. And if people look at that and say, well, that just never could happen. Well, let's think about what we've discussed already in the tribulation. In the first 18 months of the tribulation, we know that billions of people will be killed. In this latter part of the tribulation, as we get to Armageddon, there are still billions of people on the earth converging now to one place, and they will all, those who are not children of God, be put into this figurative wine press at the Battle of Armageddon. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 38. And if you ever want to go prophecy crazy, you have to get it into Ezekiel. I've, I've met some people who literally have gone prophecy crazy. Um, there, were, there were some guys that I heard when I was a kid. Anybody ever heard uh, Jack Van Impey in person here in the room? I heard Jack when I was a kid before he went prophecy crazy. Uh, when I was in school, I went to a uh, school with a kid named J.R. Church, and his dad was also J.R. Church, and J.R. Church went prophecy crazy. Now, let me define what prophecy crazy is. When all you do is study prophecy, you have gone prophecy crazy. Prophecy is not for us to spend our whole lives studying Prophecy is to make us aware to watch for His coming as we reach souls for Jesus Christ. And if you take any issue in the Christian realm and you go to seed on it, you will eventually wash your life out. You'll become ineffective for Christ. I've seen people do it on a Bible version issue where that's all they do for years of their life. And while they're doing it, they get out of church, they don't spend time with their family, and they go to seed on those things. And that can happen in prophecy too, but there are a lot of guys who have studied this passage, and I promise you, I am not a prophecy wonk. I know generally enough prophecy to get me by. We will have question and answer at the end tonight, and I'm sure that there are 14 people in here who could stump me, because I'm I'm not a prophecy wonk. But Ezekiel 38 is one of the parts that really covers the battle of Armageddon. Look at verse number 9. Let's look at some wording in here. Thou shalt ascend and come like a storm. Thou shalt be like a cloud to, now look at these words, cover the land. Thou and all thy bands and many people 
with thee. Okay, so it takes a lot of ground to cover this many people. Verse number 16. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, but I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. And these passages about Gog and Magog are either a battle leading up to Armageddon or they're talking about Armageddon themselves. So those are things you can study, but it's to cover the land. All right, think about this. What is the largest crowd of human beings that you've ever been in? Okay, anybody ever been to an NFL football game? Okay, so you've been in a crowd that's maybe 60,000, 70,000 people. Has anybody ever been uh, to a crowd of over 100,000 people? Say the Rose Bowl, Michigan Stadium. Okay, we're out. Yes, that's great. Jesus, Saints, Crusade in the Philippines. Right here. Right here. The Rose Bowl, yeah. Fiesta Bowl, that doesn't hold 100,000. That's wishful thinking, young man. No, it does hold good 75,000. Yeah, anybody else been in a crowd that big? Um, you know... You get in a crowd, say you get in a crowd of 15,000 people. That's a lot of people, right? And you know, if you get in a crowd of 8,000 people at the Ido Center, it takes you an hour and a half to get home. And you think, man, all the people in the whole world are here. And your husband says something to you, they brought their dogs with them too, Right? Everybody and their dog was there tonight. They say stuff like that. So, but that's eight, ten thousand people. Uh, I want you to think about the other day in Washington D.C. By the way, I loved this. September 11th, there's going to be this huge Muslim march, and they're going to do it. Two million motorcyclists, red-blooded Americans, drove into the city on their bikes. They're motorcycles, most likely Harleys, and they just caused gridlock everywhere. Um, two million people drive into the town. Can you imagine this? That's a lot of people, right? Can you imagine being in an area where there were 10 million human beings all in a crowd? It's just, um, it's astounding to think of it. We think 10,000's big. Right? Multiply that times a thousand and you've got ten million. We're getting bigger? Now picture a billion and a half people in one crowd. It's going to cover some territory, folks. Right? Especially if they try to bring their cars. <laughs> There's no parking lot big enough. So here the, this cover the land thing is huge. So this is getting us a little bit closer to what Armageddon is. Now let's talk about this next one. I'm going to go ahead and read your notes before we look at some of the verses. The participants of the great campaign will include the following. Here they are. The Federation of Nations Under the Beast. So these are the people who make the original peace treaty with the Antichrist and go ahead and try to keep it even though he double-crosses, triple-crosses, and quadruple-crosses them. They're still in the Federation. The Northern Federation, 
And this is all centered on the great bear, Russia, and all of the countries of the north. So they, they are out of the peace treaty quickly. They are done with this because they're going to attack Israel. The kings of the east, can you imagine what type of army could come right now from China and India? India has at least 1.4 billion people. China is really close. They may even have 1.5 billion. So the armies of the east coming from the Orient. And then you've got the king of the south. And that's all of the African nations coming up from the south. Okay, so uh, where, people say, well, where's America in that? They're dead broke. That's where they're at. And uh, they're wiped out. They're, they're not here. They're never mentioned as a, as a force during this time. So then we've got also, of course, the Lord Almighty and His armies from heaven. Let's read a little bit about it. Zechariah chapter 14. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah 14. And then Malachi. Zechariah 14. Zechariah is a huge book of prophecy. It not only prophesied Messiah, but it prophesies the millennial reign, and it prophesies the battle of Armageddon, and all of the things that come up, uh, make that day happen. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So that describes this time period and the fact that all the nations of the earth, even though they hate each other, even though they're so mad at, at each other and the Antichrist, these deceitful spirits will come and gather them to this battle. And so it's going to be the most massive battle in all of world history. Revelation 17. So flip back to the back again. Revelation 17. Verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. And Daniel prophesied these, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And you can read in Revelation 16, verse number 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So when the Euphrates River dries up, all of the uh, Asian nations can come right toward Jerusalem and toward the Battle of Armageddon. Let's look at this next one in your notes. Many of the Old Testament books include prophecies that offer details regarding Armageddon. And the day of Jehovah. So another name for Armageddon, or the beginning 
of the day of Jehovah is this time of Armageddon. The Lord's return to the earth, the second coming of Christ. There are a lot of ways to talk about this. Uh, Isaiah 63 has some. Ezekiel 39 is a great chapter to look at. Let's go ahead and look at this one in Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel uh, and his writings are still writings that we don't really have a firm grasp on. Um, You read Daniel 1 through 6, and you think, man, this is a great book. It's got good stories. Right? Here's this kid that got stolen from Israel, and now he's in Babylon, and they don't want to eat the king's bread, and then they don't want to bow down to the idol, and uh, then the king turns into a, an animal and goes out and eats grass, and his fingernails grow, and, and then Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den, and there's handwriting on the wall, and man, it's great stories. And then you get to Daniel chapter 7, and you go, what just happened? And then you read chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and you don't know what happened. I mean, Daniel's a tough, tough book. But this is still in the first section, and it's part of the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he wanted it interpreted. And Daniel came in, and here was part of the interpretation. Look at this. Daniel 2, verse 35. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together. Now, what that's talking about is the nations from every empire since Daniel. So all of these world empires are going to be broken at one time and become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carry them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I wonder what the stone is that's going to smite the image. Pretty sure it's going to be the Ancient of Days, Jesus Christ, who will come in on this day, the Battle of Armageddon, the Day of Jehovah, and initiate a one-world government that is done righteously. A millennial reign for a thousand years, and He will rule with the rod of iron. So that's what that verse is talking about. Here, the day of Jehovah. Joel talks about it. Uh, Go over to Zechariah again. We'll look at this a little bit different way. Zechariah chapter 12. Okay, so you could read verses 1 through 6. Let's go to verse 7. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. Okay, so this is where Jesus is going to show up when he comes back. He's going to go first to the Mount of Olives, um, which is in Jerusalem of, anybody know what tribe Jerusalem was in? Judah. So he's going to go to Judah first. That the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So in this one moment of battle, 
all of these nations are going to be wiped out. And uh, really, it's fascinating when we're going to read it in a minute of how quickly this takes place. Right? Um, somebody just off the top of your head, the worst days in battle in American history. Just shoot me three, four, or five of them. Gettysburg, okay. What is it? Iwo Jima? Antietam. Yes, he said it correctly. He is a Civil War buff. Um, it's not Antietam. All right, anybody else? Antietam, what else? Come on, people. Pearl Harbor, yeah? Something else? Battle of the Bulge, what is it? Battle of the Bulge, Iwo Jima. Okay, um, you know, in the battles we just talked about, the worst days in American history, you know how many people were killed in one day in those battles? Most of those battles, fewer than 30,000 people were killed. How many Antietam, do you know? I think it's like 32,000 worst day in the Civil War. Um, that is a drop in the bucket compared to what we're about to see. Just to let you know. This is going to happen in a massive quantity in a very short time period. All right, let's go to Revelation 19. And this puts it all together for us. Revelation 19. We say this in the notes. The events of the day of Jehovah are compiled for all to see in Revelation 19. So, if you don't want to do a whole Armageddon study, which you certainly could, and I would welcome you to do that, but you could just read Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. You know, there's only one person with that name. That's God. It's Jesus Christ. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So he's not going to make war because he's angry. He's going to make war out of justice. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Isn't that fascinating? Someday we're going to find out what God actually calls himself. <laughs> That's fascinating to me. Verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That's so awesome. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. By the way, if you're a child of God, that's you. That's you. You've gone up in the rapture, and now you're coming back in the army. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress. We already talked about that, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. So here's the monogram on his clothing. King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not going to say K-O-K-L-O-L. It's going to say King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. God's going to call the birds. 
that she may eat the flesh of kings, flesh of captains, flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and grain. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And by the way, that's a picture of what hell will be like. People will be cast alive into hell. Verse 21, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So this is the most devastating attack that can ever take place. And all we will do is sit on our white horses and watch. We'll watch in awe as the Son of God with the sword. His sword, you know what this, his sword is? His word. His word. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 33. He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Remember in Genesis 1, you're reading through there, and it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And everything that God said, there it was. And people read this and say, Ah, oh, this could never happen. You know, the God who formed the theorem for DNA could all of the sudden change what DNA is. And if he did, you know what we would be? Piles of dirt what we be in a second in a moment and so i have to tell you i am most encouraged to know that i'm going to be a part of the army behind him instead of in front of him uh, this is amazing the battle of armageddon next thing your notes as the armies of the evil conspiracy are being destroyed with the sword of learn the beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire we just read that Chapter 20, we continue, And I saw an angel come down from heaven. So this is not Jesus, this is an angel. Having the key of the bottomless pit. So there's a key, that means it's locked. And a great chain in his hand. So he's going to come with a chain. And he laid hold on the dragon. That old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I like that part. Shut him up. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So in your notes, we say this. The old serpent Satan. And by the way, I, I don't capitalize it in my notes. I always write a little S. He does not deserve capitalization. Sometimes even when my spell check corrects it, I go back and change it. Never capitalize devil or Satan. I didn't even try, try not to capitalize Lucifer, but somehow my spell check recognizes it a name, which is amazing because there are many modern versions of the Bible that don't even recognize it as a name. So they cast in the bottomless pit the old serpent. Now let's go to Zechariah 13. We'll finish up. Zechariah 13.
Verse number 8. It shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. So here's what it's saying. It's saying two-thirds or two parts of the entire civilization is going to be dead. The third part is the part described in verse 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will, heal, I will hear them. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. And in your notes we say this, believers will be purified and unbelievers purged from Israel. Do you know this whole period of the wrath of the Lamb is for the nation of Israel. It's when God renews His economy of how He treats Israel. And uh, this passage seems to indicate that two-thirds of the Jews on planet Earth will still refuse Jesus even through this time of tribulation when he's doing everything he can to get their attention. And that one-third of them will go through this time period and they have accepted him and they're children of God. So that's Battle of Armageddon. Three quick questions. Anybody have a quick one? One quick question. Two. We covered everything. We covered everything so well. You guys don't even have a question, right? Oh, prophecy wonk. Just... No, I'm certain there are guys who talk. They start talking to prophecy, and you're like, "What? What are you talking about? The clothing of Basra? What? What is that?" Any anybody have a question? You guys just want to go home and eat post toasties. I don't know you care. All right, well, let's stand. She just said something funny. I wish I could hear what she says because anytime she makes him laugh out loud. She's got to be saying something funny. <laughs> All right. Hey, right at about two minutes after we dismiss, we'll have a short business meeting. And then check out your service groups tonight, too. Our business meeting will just be a few minutes. Father, thank you once again for this prophecy and all of these detailed prophecies regarding Armageddon. We thank you that we have the assurance as your children that we will not be going through this battle from the enemy's side, but from the side of the Lamb of Glory. And we pray that we would be vigilant to go out in our community and to make sure that that case is the same with our friends and our neighbors and our relatives, that we would be witnesses to them because of this prophecy. Guide us safely now tonight and bless our business meeting to follow. And we ask it in your name. Amen.